I had never heard of PACE before. Um, the acronym stands for PACE, never heard of it before. Um, and when, as I learned about it, um, it kind of, a light bulb went off um, because to me, it solved a problem that hadn't been solved before. You are listening to The Real Leaders Podcast, where today impacts tomorrow, solar keeps a good pace, and leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that excerpt was from Alexandra Cooley, who explains why many commercial properties are now adopting solar and how the leadership and hiring adjusted as their startup grew to over 40 employees. So without further ado, let's jump to your uninterrupted episode of The Real Leaders Podcast with Alexandra Cooley. Enjoy. We will get started here. Let's bring the energy today. First podcast we're doing, we're bringing the energy. It's going to be the best one you ever did. Okay, here we go. In five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of The Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. Joining me today is the co-founder and chief operations officer of Greenworks Lending, Ms. Alexandra Cooley. Allie, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. So I think it's very unique that we've got a co-founder on the show today. You know, Alex, sometimes we get some CEOs on the show and they come in the organization, no disrespect to them all, but I like hearing the story aspect of how an organization actually started. In order to go back, kind of depends on like how far we want to go back. So let's start maybe at early childhood or in grade (laughs) school, Ali. Think back. I want you to think far back. Did you ever have a knack for entrepreneurship or sustainability? Well, we're, well, we can go, we can go as far back as you like, but, um, I think I always had, I always loved being out in nature. So as a kid, I was always running around like collecting earthworms while my friends were playing with, you know, Barbie dolls or whatever. Um, but, um, but I never really did anything with it until after college. And I, um, after college, I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. Um, so I did what a lot of graduates do, which is go into consulting um, to try to learn about a lot of different things. Um, and while I was there, I ended up working on, um, ended up being assigned to oil and gas projects. So I was basically the outsourced um, diligence analyst for um, looking at oil and gas investments. And I have this memory of one night, I went to the Middle East a lot. I lived there for a couple months. And one night I was kind of alone in a hotel room in Abu Dhabi and I couldn't sleep. And I couldn't sleep because that day I had read an article about polar bears starving on ice caps because they couldn't find food because their food sources were drying up because of climate change. And um, sorry. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, remember going to the zoos. I remember spending time outside as a kid and realizing, you know, there had to be there had to be something better that I could be doing, something more aligned with my values that I could be doing with 30% of my time here on earth. And the next day, of course, I went to work and I was analyzing an oil and gas field in, in Egypt this time, I think it was. Um, and I made the decision that, that you know those two things could not exist together in my life. And I wanted to do something impactful. So that was back in, oh gosh, I must have been like 2008, 2009. So actually ended up deciding to go to graduate school. At that time, most of the creative solutions to climate change were actually coming out of the public sector, and you don't hear that that often. Um, So I decided I wanted to learn more about climate change policy, and I um, I went to grad school. Um, And I just had a series of of really lucky encounters. So um, while I was at grad school, I ended up doing research for someone named Brian Garcia, 
And when I was leaving, when I was graduating from, from school, um, he actually was asked by the governor of Connecticut to start something called the Connecticut Green Bank. Um, and the Connecticut Green Bank was really a, a state agency startup. You, don't, you also don't hear that that often. Um, and the goal was really to create structures to bring private capital into the state of Connecticut to um, fund clean energy um, solutions within the state. And he asked me to, to join him and several other people he was bringing on to start the state agency. Um, and my job was to create different and new financial structures to, um, to help um, scale clean energy within the state of Connecticut and really create new structures. My first day, I met Jessica Bailey, who became my co-founder. Um, she was also brought on by Brian to, um, to help um, the commercial real estate sector in Connecticut access clean energy. And she had spent the past 10 years passing something called property assessed clean energy policy across the state. I had never heard of PACE before. Um, the acronym stands for PACE, never heard of it before. Um, and when, as I learned about it, um, it kind of, a light bulb went off um, because to me it solved a problem that hadn't been solved before. So if you think kind of at a macro level of climate emissions, 20% um, of our climate emissions come from our commercial buildings in the state, in the United States. Um, and there really isn't, it's kind of the one real estate sector where there's no good financing solution available. So if you think about as, a, as an individual, you can go out and you can get a loan from Solar City or Sunrun or whoever um, and get long-term financing for your solar or a HELOC if you wanna install energy efficiency if you're a utility or a large scale company like a FedEx or someone that's publicly traded with a debt rating, you can go out and get long-term financing to do energy efficiency or clean energy or resiliency measures on your property. If you're a government, you can go out and you can issue bonds, but there really isn't anything for the sub-investment grade real estate market. And that's well over 90% of the commercial buildings in the country. And so I realized that this was a product that could have a significant impact. So for two years, Jessica and I worked together to build the product within the Connecticut Green Bank. Um, we met with um, more success than you might expect being um, state agents. And we realized that to have the impact that we wanted to have through building this product, we really had to spin it into a private company and take it nationwide um, so that we could see more and more PACE deals get done, more and more states adopt PACE. Okay, so maybe explain to our audience when they're hearing about this for the first time. You already said the pace; it's uh, property assessment, clean, clean energy uh, act, and I'm sure it's some type of uh, obviously GreenWorks lending, some type of loan for a, a property of a, a commercial real estate building. Could you explain to our audience what that work, what, the, what that looks like for the on the property side, and why this would help them save money? Yeah, sure. So property assessed clean energy is very simply a state level policy. So a state will say, we believe clean energy or climate mitigation or energy efficiency is a public benefit. And therefore, we will allow private lenders like Greenworks, my company, um, to access um, the systems that have been used for, for over a century to fund public benefits like schools, sewers, sidewalks, um, you name it. Um, called the Public Benefit Assessment System. And what that does is it allows a building owner to basically create their own special taxing district on their property and pay back um, any clean energy measures that they're installing on their property through a tax assessment. 
And what that gets them is um, long-term low-cost financing because we're secured by the property itself. We're actually making a loan to um, the owner of the building for sure, but actually our loan is to the building itself. So yeah. if the owner moves, our tax assessment is, is still on the building until it's paid off. And that's because, as you can imagine, the boiler would still remain on the building. The solar panels would remain on the roof. So whoever moves into the building would get the benefit of the upgraded property um, and they would continue to pay that tax assessment over time. So it starts with that policy that allows private lenders to come in and, and lend um, against a special assessment. And then it really gives the choice to the building owner to install the clean energy measures that make sense for their building um, using this structure. Okay, got it. So, so Jessica and Ali are at Green Bank in Connecticut, and they they realize the opportunity for this product to have a significant impact across the nation. Now, um, great ideas also come with great costs and and great challenges. Um, you just mentioned some policies. Uh, you also mentioned that the the ownership isn't a problem. That's a that's a big problem for a lot of residential. Uh, people looking to get solar is like, hey, am I going to sell my house in years? You know, is this investment going to pay off? How long am I going to have to live here for? A little bit different with commercial real estate now. This is this is great. So, what are some of the challenges though for the policy uh, with working with municipalities, um, with some of the um, investors that are going to invest in your company as a startup to take this on? And tell our audience what it was like for clean energy back in you said two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Sure. So, um, so first on the investment side, um, well, I'll start with the policy side because that's a little easier to, um, to explain. When we started in um, 2015, a handful of states had passed case policy. Um, what we realized um, through the process of passing policy in Connecticut, seeing it adopted at the state and local level, um, was that it's a, it's a policy that doesn't really matter if the state is blue or red or purple. Um, Democrats really like the policy because it supports clean energy. Republicans like the policy because it's a way for governments not to spend money. So these loans are, are all private sector loans, right? My company is a private company. We raise money from institutions like insurance companies. Um, and it allows for economic development. So we're funding projects that wouldn't get done otherwise that local um, contractors and, and local developers are, are putting in the ground. Um, and so it just kind of, it, it, it it's popular across the aisle. So we've seen the handful of states go to 38 in the past um, five years. We, it's really kind of remarkable how much the landscape has grown and how much the environment for PACE has increased. Um, so that's driven a ton of growth um, for CP and for Greenworks in particular. Um, on the investment side, Certainly that was, that was a challenge when we got started, um, but we were very lucky in that um, at the Green Bank, we, we built the product, right? So we, we really figured out how it was going to work um, with the tax collectors, right? Because we're actually asking them to bill and collect. We figured out what the underwriting needed to look like. We figured out what the pricing needed to look like. And that last piece of figuring out the pricing, how we did that was we actually went out to the market and said, hey, look, we've got a pool of $30 million of loans that we had originated while we were at the state. So the state of Connecticut gave us their balance sheet to start originating PACE assets onto. And they were like, great, hmm. like, go out, originate these PACE assets, see if it'll work, and then sell it, get our money back. That's why the Green Bank is put into place. Um, and so in the process of doing that, um, we realized that there was a huge amount of demand on the institutional investing side for ESG assets. And there just weren't enough assets that fit the credit profile 
um, for ESG investors. Um, and if you think about who these investors are, they're, they're institutional investors. You really need to have something that is rateable, um, that's investment grade to go out and access the, the capital markets there. And so we said, you know, we, we got some price discovery um, and we said, there's gonna be a huge amount of demand for our assets if we can get to scale. And so that became the story of the company, right? It was really scaling the product so that we could access the capital markets. Um, and we were lucky to meet um, our initial investor who had done basically the same thing, kind of scaling the taxing product so that it became an institutional product. And he saw in pace what he saw in the tax space, um, that it was a, a certainly an investment grade product that just hadn't reached scale yet. Um, and he said, he gave us our first chunk of capital um, and that gave us the runway to prove the concept that we could do this as a private company, we could do it outside of Connecticut and we could really scale it across the country. Alexander, did you face any challenges from like traditional energy companies or pushback from any organizations uh, or just any struggles with uh, just like the competency of, of, a, of a CFO of an organization is trying to understand how this is going to make their money and why they would invest in solar at this time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, every every sale is different um, and certainly selling pace is not the easiest thing that you could sell. Um, but, um, but one of the really nice things about the product is that it um, it allows for that payback discussion to change, right? Because because we're secured by a tax assessment, uh, we can lend up to 20 to 30 years. So CFOs of, of companies, you know, they're trained to think, okay, I need this to pay back in three to five years. Typically, clean energy measures, as you know well, you know, take 10 to 12 years to pay back. And so that doesn't ever kind of crop up on the list of, of things we need to do on a CFO's um, list of strategic priorities. And PACE really allows that payback discussion to change because we're extending the payment over 20 to 30 years over the life of the measure. And so if you have energy savings, um, you're really smoothing out the cost to match those energy savings. So that, that certainly helps. Um, and that is what allowed us to kind of grow into this um, sub-investment grade CRE market, um, which had previously really been underserved and, and not well served by the capital markets at all. Are you finding that these property owners are doing this because it's going to save them money in 20, 30 years? Or are they coming to you because they believe that or at least they want to incorporate uh, sustainable solutions into their own uh, properties? Yeah, well, certainly the amount of investment that needs to happen um, across all sectors um, to mitigate climate change is, is staggering. But that is never why a building owner comes to us, unfortunately, as much as I, I wish it were. Um, we, we typically see two reasons, there are three reasons why people come to us. First, um, solar. So people do solar um, in certain states because of cash flows. They want to cut back on their utility bill. Typically, states offer great incentives. Some states offer great incentives. Um, and PACE really matches that cash flow for them. They get, they get the tax benefits. Um, so it's really cash flow sale on the solar side. Um, second would be energy efficiency. This is really kind of capital improvements. So you can think about a um, portfolio owner of multifamily properties or office properties and their boilers are kind of at the end of their useful life and, and they see winter is coming and they, and they need to upgrade, you know, 20 different boilers. Um, they'll come to us and say, can I have pace financing to install ultra efficient um, boilers on my properties? And then the third and the fastest growing is actually in new construction and new development. And that's a really interesting use case because um, a lot of developers are seeing PACE as really additive to their cost of capital and their capital stack. 
And what it allows them to do is ring fence funds that would otherwise get value engineered out for, you know, marble countertops or something like that um, for um, energy efficiency that would that will reduce the cost of operating the asset over time. Um, and so we really see that being a huge value driver for, for our borrowers and a huge growth case in terms of our customers. And you're employing a lot of different jobs, right? A lot of new jobs are coming into the economy because of uh, construction, right? Because of solar, because of, I mean, this is, I guess, describe what type of impact this is having on the, uh, on solar jobs in the economy. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm most excited about. And I'm just looking here because I have, um, I have the numbers from our most recent impact report. One of, one of the most, um, one of the things that we do that is, one of my favorite things we do at the company um, is we actually report on our impact every quarter. Um, nobody's requiring us to do this. None of our investors require it. Um, but just can I do it? Because we think it's really important for us personally. It's very motivating to see, okay, we've created X many more jobs this quarter. It's also really motivating for the people on our team. So, um, so we have um, to date created over 2000 clean energy jobs. So that is really exciting um, for me, especially having had the experience of coming out of school, wanting to do something in clean energy and not really knowing where to go. Um, I think we're in a much different market um, now for talent. And there's certainly kind of the ability to go into the clean energy space um, from all pieces of the value chain. Um, and then we've also reduced um, the equivalent of 54 square miles of forest. So we've, we've basically done the equivalent of reforesting 54 square miles for 20 years. Um, which to me is also I, one of my one of my graduate degrees is in forestry, so that to me is always really um, hitting home, and I and I love that stat. So in that, so I, I like how you just said we're not asked to do that, but it makes us feel better. Uh, a lot of organizations nowadays are starting to realize that they need to measure things beyond the balance sheet. Uh, yeah. Maybe go in depth a little bit more about why that's important to you, and do you see this? Uh, as something that investors want to see or, you, or your own uh, internal employees want to see, or is it just for uh, personal reasons? Yeah, so certainly we decided it was important to us personally to measure measure our impact. Um, and I think more and more we're seeing investors think this is really attractive. Um, we are um, active issuers in the um, asset-backed security space. So our investors are institutions like insurance companies and asset managers. And more and more, you kind of see a new news article every day about um, more and more of these institutions are moving towards ESG. Um, I don't think anyone's quite figured out the right criteria or framework to put into place, but it, it, there is an intangible there. They, they like to see it, but that is not why we do it. Um, we do it mainly for us personally. <laughs> and then I also, um, we've noticed it's really motivating for our team. I think we've been able to attract um, a, a kind of group of really talented, mission-driven folks that, um, you know, work hard because they want to build their careers for sure, but also because impact is so central to, um, to the company, right? If we're successful, we will have had an impact. Like they're just, they're just linked um, because the measures we're installing with our financing are clean energy and energy efficiency, and they're having an energy savings reduction or they're having an energy savings impact. And so I think, a lot of the people on our team are motivated by that impact. And I think it, it's just been, it's a little bit intangible. It's one of those things that, that, you know, feels a little, a little fluffy, but it really isn't. It, it I really, I really notice that it helps. And there is kind of more of a positive energy in the, in the office after, after we publish a report every quarter. 
with this CPACE program being like so integrated into your organization, uh, have you found that your employees are staying longer, at least are being retained longer because of something like this, because it's not just making them money, like you said, improve the careers, but also having that environmental impact and, and like from like the leader of this organization, like, uh, do you think this is a strategy that other organizations uh, can adopt as well? Yeah, I, I really do. I think we've been able to recruit um, a super incredible team for the size that we are. We're certainly punching above our weight in terms of our ability to recruit managers and, and leaders and, and even kind of individual contributors because there is that impact component. And I, you know, I, I do think it probably contributes to our retention rate. I don't know how I would know that for sure, but we do have folks that have been with us since 2015 and it's not an insignificant percentage of our, of our staff. Um, I don't know how that compares to other folks in our space, but, um, but I do think the mission there, there is something about that mission. It, it kind of bonds you to one another and to, to the company and the mission of the company. Um, and I think it just, you know, you're going to work for something more than, you know, just the career and the paycheck, which hopefully you're getting ample, ample opportunities with both. But, um, but I think that there's a different element there for, for most of the folks. Um, uh, as a leader of the organization, what's been like one of the most difficult decisions you have had to make? Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, well, I can say the most one of the most difficult things about um, going from two people and now we're, we're just shy of 40 um, it's really been like the skills you need are, are different, right? So you go from doing, um, so I, you know, when we started, we, we, Jessica and I sat down, we divided up the world. She's like, I've got the policy side and the sales side, and, and you've got the finance side and the, um, and the operational side. And he said, great. Okay. We're off to the races. And, and it was easy because like, not easy. It was really challenging with a lot of really late nights, but you kind of knew exactly what you needed to do. And then you go from that to kind of, you know, managing people, which is, is also is a different skill, right? So you have to be very clear about expectations. It's about setting boundaries and, um, and making sure that, that folks feel supported. And then you go from that, um, you know, I think in 2019, we went from 18 to 36 people. We doubled in size. And I remember talking to a friend of mine who said, you're going from being a large family. That's probably a little dysfunctional, but you guys all get along to an institution. And that's, that's a really hard leap to make. And, and it was, it was really challenging because it's, it's more about leading than managing and more about leading and managing than doing. Right. So um, we have a concept that's kind of become vern like vernacular around the office. There's an article that Molly Graham wrote called give away your Legos. And um, it, it's really this concept that you have to give things that you've built to other people to, you know, maybe do a better job at maybe do a worse job at while you go off and struggle doing something new. Um, and it's hard, right? Like that is really hard and it's not natural. And I think if you layer on top of that, the need to lead an organization, that was not at all, like that was not at all natural for me because you go from kind of direct kind of in discussion and debate to needing to influence and managing perceptions. And that was very challenging for me. Um, and I think, that is probably something that most people in, in our in our position struggle with. 
So during that growth, it was giving up those responsibilities to people who can do a better job was probably the most challenging thing, just that trust factor. Well, that was challenging because it's more just like, yeah, it's more not knowing what like the next thing is, right? So you're like, okay, I've got to move on to the next thing. And then it's also just, you know, is it going to go well? Or like, I, I can't own it anymore. Right. So is it going to go well? Is this thing I built going to continue to exist? And and what does it mean now that I'm not going to be involved in every decision? And it just, it just, it's just different. You know, mm. I think that, um, I think having done it now several times, it gets easier and easier because you know, it just ends up better than it was before. Right. Like it, one example is, um, I used to manage every interaction with our, with our institutional investors, every single one. And, you know, I was like, I, you know, I'm pretty good at this. I like, I raised this money and I, I know, I know the investors and, um, and actually having moved it to someone else on my team, it, it's so much better. It's so much smoother. She's implemented a schedule. She, it's much more organized. You know, it's just, it's just better than I expected and it's different than I expected. And so I think having gone through that experience and seeing things actually improve has helped. Um, but I think when you're first doing it, you're like, what, what's going to happen? I, I built this. I don't want it to fall down, you know? Definitely. Definitely. So I guess this is just popped in my head. Like as you're growing, like how has your hiring changed? Like how has your skill training changed? Cause like right, right now you're telling me, you know, I was a little worried. I was really good at this job, but I had to let it go and let someone else do a better job. And you know, this person obviously needs to have some experience. They need to uh, be well vetted in advance. And I'm sure you're helping them out with that. But like, how does that role maybe that's a better question. Like how does that role of like management change and that leadership style change as your organization goes from two to 40 employees Um, for you personally? Yeah. So again, it's more, um, I really enjoyed being an entrepreneur. Like I feel like I was an entrepreneur for like a small sliver of time for like a couple of years. Right. And I, I really enjoyed that because no two days are the same. So I would wake up and, you know, there were a bunch of fires that needed to be put out and just kind of be like, okay, like you get this one, I get this one. And it was very kind of like hand to hand combat. And now it's very, you have to be much more structured and much more thoughtful, not only about what you're, saying but what you're doing and the behavior that you're that you're modeling and and just one example that I thought about as I was prepping you know something as simple as when I got into work every morning I like you know I had I had a baby in um at the end of 2018 and there were some mornings where I would just you know sit home with my baby get through a couple pieces of work that I needed to get through because it was just easier for me to do that than to like deal with getting out the door and I needed to focus and I knew I just needed to get these things done And there was one morning where I got in and it was, you know, it was 11 a.m. and nobody was in. And I was like, well, no, no, sorry. It was 9.45 and nobody was in. And I was like, this is a, um, this is, you know, this is a perfectly respectable time. Like where, where is everyone? And, you know, I realized that I was modeling, I was modeling something. Right. And, um, that was never something that had crossed my mind before. Um, and, um, and so just, just things like that, like that, that really changes as you scale. And I certainly think our, our hiring practices um, have gotten a lot more professional and our training has gotten a lot more professional. And that's because our roles have gotten less, um, they've gotten more professional as well, right? So you go from meeting 
people who are jacks of all trades and who get a lot of satisfaction from like, like I did, right. From switching, switching tasks day in and day out. Um, and you need people who are kind of happy to focus on a specific job and it's a different mm. type of person. And so I think our hiring has changed because we're hiring multiple people for a single role, right. We're, as we're scaling across the country, we're building out modularly. So we have multiple people that we're hiring and, um, they have the same role. And so that role is much more structured. That training is much more structured. And we've put a lot of those in, we've put a lot of that structure in place in the past year. Interesting. Okay. Well, very cool. Uh, now, this is just another question I have for you as well, that you and Jessica, just being so close, working at another company, starting this organization um, and growing it from, from two to 40. Um, how has your relationship changed? Not, not that much. Um, we started as colleagues at the Green Bank, and I think, you know, we, we got along really well. Um, and I think the process of starting a company together has thankfully brought us really close. We've become very close friends. Our families know each other very well. Um, and I think that that has made a huge difference. I think starting a company can be very, very lonely. And I just feel so incredibly lucky. I was able to do it with someone who I continue to get along with so well. Um, it just, it makes it not lonely. It makes it fun. We can laugh about things that are challenging and it just helps keep everything into perspective because, you know, you have, up, you have up days and you have down days, just like anything else, but it just feels more intense when it's, you know, your company. And I think having someone that um, I can call and just, we can laugh about the absurdity or we can laugh about X, Y, and Z and, and still know that we're going to figure it out, but just have a moment where we can decompress together has been, has been awesome. Amazing. Uh, well, Alexandra, uh, going from uh, uh, reading an article about polar bears uh, <laughs> in, in Egypt to now at the helm of uh, an organization that's uh, uh, is really changing the landscape amongst commercial real estates around the organization, reducing those greenhouse gases to save those guys up there in the Arctic. Uh, it, it's been quite the transformation. Uh, what would you say now uh, your definition of a real leader is after all these years? Um, I know you told me you were going to ask that question, but I still, I don't, still don't have a great answer for you. There's no one answer. I think, <laughs> I think, um, I think for me that the, as I've, as I've sat down and thought about it, I think there's an element of authenticity. Um, so one of the things that I try really hard to do and, um, and, and I know Jessica tries hard to do as well is think about, um, you know, being as, as, as transparent as we can about the struggles that we're facing, um, what we're trying to do to fix it and, and um, hopefully inspiring people by our actions. Um, so I think that that would be one. And then I think um, alignment between um, your personal values and what you're kind of the what of you're doing and the, the how of what you're doing every day. So tying those three things together, I think, I think would be my definition. Beautifully put, Alexandra. Well, I just want to appreciate you coming on the show today. I hope our audience enjoyed it as much as I did. I uh, learned a lot today. Um, for Alexander Cooley, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be authentic, and authentic- authenticity creates alignment, folks. And always never forget, keep it real. Thanks, Alexandra. Thanks, Kevin. And thank you, lucky listeners, for taking the time to listen to this episode of the Releaders Podcast with Alexandra Cooley. And I didn't mention this on the podcast, but 
Greenworks Lending is a Realtors Impact Awards winner. Now, if you're interested in seeing that list, the ranking, all you need to do is go into real-leaders.com slash impact-awards and you are going to receive a free special edition uh, which features our cover star Miyoko Shinner as well as the ranking of the 100 top impact companies. Basically, people, it's a free digital magazine. You're going to get a whole section of our magazine that's on newsstands. So if you're cheap like me and you don't want to pay for the magazine, all you can do is just go online uh, and just read the, I think it's like 20 or 30 pages of the magazine. Uh, Anyway, good information on there. It's the full list of all these impact companies. If you're trying to get into the space, you're trying to see uh, who's, who's making waves, great resource for that. Um, with that being said, folks, I just want to thank you. Yes, you for listening to this podcast. Uh, we've been seeing a, a, our, our views and, and downloads uh, skyrocket over these past couple of weeks. Uh, and we just want to attribute that all to you uh, and, and sharing that with your friends, your family members, sending it to people. It, it all helps and all goes a long way. So in the bottom of our hearts, we appreciate that. Now, how do we improve the podcast? Let us know. Leave a review at the bottom. Don't be afraid. I, I can take it. Leave a review. Give me one, two, three, four, or five stars, and let me know what you think about the podcast. All right, it would just help me out if you could do that. Uh, if not, have a great rest of your day, everybody. Hope you go out there and, like we always say, keep it real. <laughs>